number one thing is to have a great team around you. And that made the process because it is, it's a roller coaster. And so the times when the roller coaster is going down the hill <laughs> and you think it's not going to come back up, you need a good team around you to say, we do this all the time and this happens all the time. It's, it's going to be okay. And uh, I, there, are, there are a few times where I had a late night call with Mike and I talked me off the ledge. Hi, and welcome to the Business Owner Transition with Mike Quinlan. We provide you content to help you leave your business on your terms. Welcome to our show. Today, we will present part one of our two-part interview with the former owner of DoMyOwn.com. DoMyOwn.com is the market leader in do-it-yourself pest control and is headquartered here in Atlanta, Georgia. This will be the story of the journey from engaging the advisors of the Business Owner Transition Academy to the closing table and watching that money hit the accounts. Please welcome Michael Gosling. Also joining us today is the founding partner of Bravaldo Capital Advisors, a boutique investment banking firm focused on lower middle market transactions. A warm welcome to Don Bravaldo. Michael, how about getting us started? My name is Michael Gosling, um, former owner of DoMyOwn.com. Uh, DoMyOwn was started out of uh, my parents' basement in 2004 uh, by myself and my younger brother, Philip. Uh, I had worked for a pest control company, so I had a license to buy professional grade products. And, and, and really, we, we started this company not from our idea, but from someone else who had started selling professional grade pest control products online direct to consumers. And uh, back in 2004, online purchasing isn't what it is today. And I, I didn't even know that that was possible, but I had gotten wind of hearing about this company and started looking into it. And my younger brother, Philip, was a, a self-taught web developer at the time and had built websites. And so when I started looking into this other company, it, we realized that they had no competition and they were the only ones online doing it. Uh, their website was not that great. And Philip and I thought that we could uh, compete well with them. And so we started uh, Do My Own out of, out of my parents' basement. Philip built the website. I had the license to buy the products. And so that's kind of how we started. Um, and we, we did a lot of things right. We were very blessed and, and lucky to, um, to really have, you know, have some digital knowledge. And as the company continued to grow, uh, our customers started asking for professional grade lawn and garden products and turf products. You know, um, all of these products are not ones that you can buy over the counter at, at Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart. These are the same products that a Terminex or Orkin uses. And as long as you are treating your own property with it, you don't have to be licensed. So as our business continued to grow, we started getting into more categories like lawn and garden uh, equipment to apply those products. And over time, really over the last 17 years, um, you know, we really set ourselves to be the leader in our space. So that kind of played into the decision of us going to market and kind of testing the waters as we knew that um, we knew that we had something special. We were the leader in our space um, because my brother has a development background. Uh, a lot of the pick, pack, and ship capabilities. We, we ship 99% of all of our orders ourselves out of two warehouses 
one located here in Atlanta and one in Salt Lake City. And we had built a lot of the technology that's pretty state of the art for pick, pack and ship logistics. And so that was, we knew that that would be really attractive to a lot of companies. Um, and so again, kind of fast forward till today, we are, we are the largest provider of professional pest control products in the country. Um, and so we knew we kind of had that, um, we, we had a lot of attraction, even building up to, to us deciding that now was the right time. And we, this is something we had thrown around for quite a few years. Um, what was our exit strategy? When, when did we think the right time was, um, and a lot of those things kind of played into it and then up to being introduced to, to Mike and, and talking exit strategy and everything um, kind of fell in place. Uh, but Do My Own Today has about 100 employees. Uh, when we went into the, um, the exit, kind of the exit strategy planning period, um, we were, uh, we ended last year when we actually closed on December 18th, but we ended last year around 74 million in revenue. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit about do my own. Well, thanks Mike. That the, uh, yeah, the, so the journey really started when you and I sat down in your office and started kind of just answering the questions about, about, uh, what an exit might look like. What was, what was it? that they got you to give us a call and actually start those conversations? Well, I mean, because Philip and I had talked about this for years and we felt that the timing was getting closer that we wanted to reach out. I knew from other business owners that I associate with and just hearing from other people going through the process that um, I knew that there was going to be preparation. I knew it was a big deal. I knew that, in a lot of ways, you kind of get one, that one first impression, that one real shot, because, you know, the more that you maybe try to go through a selling process, but don't, a lot of buyers will start to question, well, why? And so I knew that we, number one, the most important thing for us was to have a great team around us. So we started looking for that great team and I got introduced to Mike and, um, you know, Mike's philosophy is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people involved when you go through selling a process. You have your uh, you have your attorneys, the the closing attorneys. You have your your M and A people. Um, you have all kinds of other advisors around you, and it's a lot to deal with as a business owner. So what I really liked about Mike and his philosophy was, um, you know, Mike said, "Hey, I'm your quarterback. I'm the guy that's going to filter all of the information you're getting and help you deal with all of these different people. So you're not taking in information from a thousand different places. Um, and so that's what really kind of the light bulb went off in my head that, you know, we have a business to run. Not only are you going through a selling process, but we also have a business to run. And so I need to be careful that I don't take my eye uh, off of the business and have it flounder while I'm trying to possibly go through this exit. And so I really like the approach that Mike had and um, you know, it helps when you have numerous people that you come across say, yeah, I've worked with Mike. He's, you know, he's the real deal and can get you in touch with some great people. And, and you did Mike. And I'm very thankful for that. And, and the number one thing is to have a great team around you. And that made the process because it is, it's a roller coaster. And so the times when the roller coaster is going <laughs> down the hill, and you think it's not going to come back up, you need a good team around you to say, 
we do this all the time and this happens all the time. It's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And, uh, I, there are, there are a few times where I had a late night call with Mike and that uh, talked me off the ledge. So, <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, as we got into the sales process, I, I think I warned you, Hey, listen, this deal is going to fall apart three times. And, you, uh, did. you know, and so you called me back like you say, all right, it's falling apart twice. Come on. What is there going to be one more? So, uh, <laughs> and it all worked out, but so, uh, at the very beginning, you know, we've got Annika on the call. We've got Nathan on the call. Uh, they all part and, and Mike DeWitt as well. And, and everybody participated at different times during all this. In the first phase of the exit planning portion, we took a look at you and Philip and your personal readiness for exit. And we also look at the company and we looked at the, uh, the I'm good checklist and we looked at all of the different areas and, and major value driver areas of the company. And, um, what did you learn from that, that initial process where you got, uh, you got some people from the outside that were coming in and taking a look at you personally and looking at the company? Uh, we learned really quick. We were not ready and that we had a lot of work to do. Um, you know, as a, as a privately held company, you know, the only person I have to answer to is myself and my brother and vice versa. So, you know, when you, when you have a privately held company um, and you're interested in possibly selling to publicly held companies or much larger companies, there's a lot of things they're going to be looking for that uh, throughout the process that you may not have in place. And so, you know, we, we were running our business on a cash, on a cash basis and, and they were, would most likely be looking for an accrual basis. Um, I closed the books every month by reconciling the bank accounts, but it wasn't a true financial closing. Um, you know, those are some of the things that bigger companies are going to be looking for that we were not doing as a small privately held company. And then on the personal side, our business was a great, great lifestyle business. Um, it provided a great income, uh, for my families, but we had done very light investing and there was nothing in place, uh, personally to accommodate a large influx from a, from an exit. And so, so we had to have, um, you know, we had to really look at that and, and, and also personally, my wife and I had never really sat down and said, what are our long-term goals for us, for our kids? you know, what does that look like and what are the vehicles that need to be in place so we can get there? So it was a really, it, it was kind of a coming to Jesus meeting because it was, um, it, it was, it, it really put out there that there's a lot of planning and things that need to take place. And, and we had to be willing to, to um, set our fears aside and say, okay, we're going to take your advice. We're going to put the time and effort into not only getting the company ready, but personally getting ready. So if this happens, we're prepared. Uh, and it took, and it, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of resources within the company to get some things lined up, but we were very blessed to have a great team, uh, a great management team that we brought into the process. And, um, and they were all committed to what Philip and I ultimately wanted. Yeah. If you have a great management team, I think it is important to bring them in. And, 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 you know, we did not tell all of our employees as we started this process, we did closer to the end, but, you know, we definitely uh, really love our employees, their family. So it wasn't just important for Philip and I, and this is the God honest truth that the most important thing wasn't for us to just get the best deal we could and run for the Hills. 
the one of the most important things for us was to make sure our employees had an the the person that acquired us also valued our employees and valued the direction of the company and that they wouldn't just clean house. I mean, that was really important for us. And so to have a strong management team in place also gives the buyer a lot of confidence that if, if Michael and Philip decide to, Hey, we, we just got paid and up and leave that there is a great management team in place to continue carrying the torch. Now that's not the case with us, but that's going to be the buyer's fear. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, as we talked about, the various elements, you know, uh, cash flow, increasing cash flow. And that's where we said, all right, gosh, you know what we need to do? Let's, let's, let's change these books. Let's bring in a, uh, we, our recommendation was bring in a fractional CFO, which uh, we executed right when we got to phase three, which was that, that mentoring phase. And uh, so that went into place. We also um, started talking about management, right? We started talking about um, what was, was, uh, uh, Jeremiah's role and what should it be so that you guys could, could exit quickly should you decide to do so. So we talked with, with Michael and Philip about that. Um, and we also ended up getting a fractional chief marketing officer in place to help with the, uh, articulation of the growth plan. So we're, we're kind of getting a, all of these people's were we had made recommendations initially that this happened and but we transitioned very quickly from uh from articulating and codifying the plan and we almost kind of skipped phase three which was was building all of these value drivers and went straight into a a process a sales process so what we ended up doing was uh, doing all of the the value driver building along with the sales process, which uh, which worked out pretty well. So let's um, transition to that, Michael. Um, we we uh, you called me on that Saturday morning. You guys had come back from your from your conference, and uh, we decided to move forward. So we called Don, and and we had our first meeting with Don. And let's start from there and talk about the uh, the sales process. Yeah, so when uh, when Don's team, um, you know, we were introduced to Don's team, and, and and look, even though Don came highly recommended, we still interviewed multiple M and A firms. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, uh, I'm I'm 100 confident that we made the right choice. Um, you know, Don came in and gave a similar kind of uh, over overview of what he did for you guys here at the beginning of kind of what that sales process would look like. Uh, Don had a lot of recommendations for us. We, we had a great company, great employees. We had a strong um, infrastructure within our business. But some of these key things that you just mentioned, Mike, um, especially on the financial side, again, privately held company. I ran our company out of a checkbook. I was the CFO. I'm not a CFO. I'm not an accountant. And so, um, you know, having uh, Don kind of lay out bullet point by bullet point of, you know, we don't have to do this, but it will greatly increase your chances of, chances of having a better deal at the end of the day. And so we, Philip and I made the decision that, you know, we were in a good position. We were in a position that we did not have to sell, but we wanted to test the waters and, and, and see what was out there. And so 
Um, we said, look, we, we're not concerned about necessarily being having to close this transaction in the next five or six months. So we're going to put in the time and effort and we're going to do everything you tell us to do. And that's what we did. And I'm not sure how many people choose to do that, but we did. And, uh, they brought it, they brought in, um, Karen, who was a fractional CFO and really opened my eyes to, you know, the accounting world and how things should be done. And that, that really was an awesome experience. And she's just incredible. Um, and all the people that they kind of brought in around us, um, we had our accounting firm go back and do audits and compilations for the previous five years, something that we had never done before, but I was thankful because when you get down through the sales process, the more things you have ready and the more answers you have when that prospective buyer asks questions, the, their confidence level is going to be so much higher. And to the adverse of that, if they're asking questions and asking for documents and asking for backup to what you're telling them and you're fumbling around, that's not very confident for them. So I was extremely thankful that we decided to buy into that and that we, we did everything that was asked of us because we had the answers for them. We had the documents, we had the backup for everything. And what Don's team was really great about was anticipating those questions, looking at our data and what we had available at the time that we started to engage. And they were able to identify the gaps and help us fill those gaps before we got into those management presentations and, and all the data that they're going to be asking for. And that was, I think that was huge. I think ultimately that played a huge role in where we ended up because the, all, all of the buyers that ended up at the end, I think were extremely confident in our abilities and, and that what we were telling them was as advertised. Yeah. And so, uh, Michael, let me, uh, if you remember, we brought in Mike Sullivan and his team early to do a pre-sale due diligence check on all of your uh, legal documents. Yep. And, and that, that uh, doesn't always feel very good, does it? No, it doesn't. But, but it did help me, it did help me uh, uh, a lot more down the road with the real due diligence process and kind of what it would be like. And really, that was a light bulb moment that uh, we had a lot of work to do and that we, did, you know, that we didn't have all the answers and everything ready, prepped up, ready to go if someone were to ask for it. So that, that, I'm glad you reminded me about Mike Sullivan's team because that, that, that pre-due diligence checklist um, ultimately ended up being a lot of what was asked in the due diligence process. And so we were ready, had it available, and that looks pretty good for the buyer when you have all that stuff ready to go. Yeah, you know, it, it uh, gives them confidence, like you just said, but also, and I'm going to turn this over to Don here for a few minutes and ask him, but uh, it also sped up due diligence, didn't it, by having all that together? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You spend a lot less time on the really, really uncomfortable stuff and, and more time on, uh, you know, the growth plan and the things that, and your capabilities, and they're not, they're a lot less concerned about, all your previous numbers and all your previous, you know, the things that they really dig into employment agreements and all that other stuff, you have that buttoned up. It makes due diligence a lot better. Yeah. And Don, uh, let's turn over for you for a couple minutes. So you met, uh, Michael and Philip that day and then, uh, got started. What were your impressions as you got started? Well, it was very evident to me that they had created something special created a market that did not exist, a market for 
um, professional grade um, pest control and lawn and garden products sold to consumers, right? So there's something special right there off the bat. Number two, they invested in systems, right? You know, Michael certainly, you know, enjoyed a good income and his brother enjoyed a good income. But let me tell you, it not like a lot of business owners. I mean, I, I do run across business owners that will take every cent out of the business and not reinvest in it. And these guys plowed it back in. They put it into technology, which is um, one of the best areas they could have put it in, right? And it, and it really was fundamental in their business. So I saw a great business that still needed some help on the financial side of things. They were, like many of our clients, financially immature. And again, operating in a tax minimization environment instead of a, a you know kind of public company mindset of operating profits and, and, and showing that. Um, and basically for the entire sales process and, and you know probably a, an extra three or four months before we started, what we were doing was de-risking the investment and preparing to show the company in the best light. Fundamentally, when you've got a growth company, which they had, they had demonstrated growth and, 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 and continued growth and profitability, but we were able to show that there weren't any hidden gotchas, that the buyer had confidence in the team. That's what all this led up to. And my, my one question for, for Michael is a question that I think would be beneficial to a lot of the business owners on today's um, presentation. You just don't realize how much professional buyers are going to ask for in this day and age, right? In terms of what they want to know, what they want to have access to. It's, it's pretty daunting. And if you wouldn't have, have done the work that Michael talked about on the front end and along the way, um, due diligence could have been a nightmare. It would have been crippling just trying to fumble around and come up with that stuff and still run the business. Um, it, it, it really, um, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Don. It, it would have, it would have been crippling. And, and it was, I mean, some of the, and some of the questions we couldn't have prepared for because they were probably questions you had never, you know, gotten before, uh, you know, in relation to us specifically as an e-commerce company. But I mean, it, it, it was pretty wild, the depth and the, the range of uh, what some of their attention was focused on. Yeah. So, and we can talk a little bit about that. The differences that some of the financial buyers, uh, their approach versus the strategic buyers in just a moment, but, uh, I want to step back just a second. So we talked about uh, getting ready to involve all these additional fractional, um, you know, team members, but how did it, you know, you and I talked at one point about bringing your team on board and letting them, you know, how you were going to communicate to them, what you were doing, who you were going to talk to. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you talked with your team and was it a difficult conversation and, um, also, we we did some um, some stay bonus and sale bonus kind of stuff too. So, talk about that just for a bit. Yeah. So, uh, Philip and I very early in the process um, talked to our vice president. His name's Jeremiah Jones, um, and 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 he's he's really you know behind Philip and I as someone that um, we were very blessed to bring on board years ago and knew just about every facet of the company back and forth. And so we wanted number one, to make sure that he was on board and to make sure that he knew what our wishes were and he was very supportive. And so that, that was a conversation that went, that went quite well. Um, and 
also I had been grooming Jeremiah. So if we did exit, Jeremiah was already capable of actually running do my own. And so, um, I, I, I had a hunch that he, uh, would have been willing to take that opportunity. And so that made the conversation a little easier too. I mean, that would have been a great thing for him. And he, he probably eventually will once Philip and I truly, you know, exit, um, as we went through the process, it became evident that, Hey, these buyers are really going to be interested in your marketing capabilities and that marketing our company and our brand is a big part of the growth plan. And so it became evident after that, that there were certain key people in our company that we did need to bring on pretty early in the process and that they would have to be involved in management meetings to give that confidence to the buyers, uh, the prospective buyers that we, had all of the facets of marketing a company, running the company, well taken care of. They, they needed to see our management team. So we, so we decided to bring Stephanie in as well. She was surprised. Um, she, she was surprised at first, but about three days later, she came back and said, actually, I'm not very surprised. Um, you know, you get, you guys are very family oriented and you know, you both have quite a few kids and, and it, it makes sense to me that you guys might want to do this. And, and she ended up being very supportive as well. We chose to not tell the broader employees yet because at the end of the day, if you guys remember when we first talked to Mike, we really wanted to test the waters. We were not 100% sure that we 100%, you know, whatever the best offer was that we got, we were going to exit. And we weren't sure either if we were going to sell the entire company or through this process end up taking an investment piece and having a, you know, a minority or a majority uh, portion of the company sold off and, and working with an investor. So we did not want to cause alarm with our employees. And, you know, this is where COVID actually was another benefit for us. Our business did really well during COVID. That was a huge blessing through this process. So the timing was right. It, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where um, the, you know, fate kind of, came out and said, this is really the right time to do this. And so that was reassuring in the end. But the other way that COVID helped us is that the uh, prospective buyers that did want to come in person, all of our employees were at home because of COVID, right? No one was in the offices. Everyone was working remotely. And so the only way that we kept this under wraps for most of the year was that when we had all these suits coming into our office, nobody was there. And so we got kind of lucky in that respect. Had everyone been in the office like they had always been, um, there would have been a lot of questions and we would have had to come, you know, come clean a lot sooner. Um, but it was a tough decision to do that. We, we, we knew that our employees would trust us, but at the same time, you don't want to cause a lot of alarm and have some of your best people leave because of what they don't know or what they've heard. Everyone has stories of, a company buying another company and coming in and just changing everything. And we knew we were going to make it a point to find a company that that wasn't their number one goal for us, but we didn't want anyone leaving or getting alarmed through the process when we didn't even know what the outcome was going to be. So we chose to, we chose to not tell them and COVID helped reinforce that we could do that and not cause a lot of alarm. And, and, um, you know, as closing got closer, we, we, we ended up telling everyone and, and they had a lot of questions and, um, but, uh, we, we found a company who was very adamant, uh, about letting do my own continue to do what do my own does and leaving everybody in place. 
and finding a company who has a culture that matches our culture. That was really important for us. And we, and we got really lucky that we did. Yeah. Yeah. So the next step was, was really, um, doing the teaser and the confidential information memorandum. And even prior to that was to the, the NDA process. Um, maybe you and Don can talk a little bit about that. A lot of a lot of owners don't really understand that that M and A negotiation begins with, you know, um, the non disclosure agreement. And you know, a big public company has in house counsel and a team of lawyers, and they have outside attorneys. And uh, you know, it can take weeks sometimes to to just get a non disclosure agreement in place so you could exchange information. Um, so that's a uh, that's uh, just all part of the fun of, of actually running a professional sales process. You know, we could talk to anybody and everybody, but we also want to be conscientious of protecting our client's confidentiality. And, and like uh, Michael was just saying, you know, giving him the opportunity to present to his employees on his timetable when when he's ready to let them know that he's selling the business, not to let them find out, you know, through the marketplace because somebody was really sloppy and, and didn't take the precautions necessary. But Michael, maybe maybe comment a little bit on what it was like writing the information memorandum and working on the growth plan and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I will say on the NDAs, we had a few that kind of, that took a while and went back and forth. And, I, and you know, that, that was one point where I, I leaned on Mike and was like, man, if it's like this, like, do we even want to talk to these people? And, and you know, leaning on Don's team, and, you know, it's just part of the process and it happens. Um, but, uh, you know, Don's team did an incredible job on the teaser and all the information, pulling it together, had a great presentation to set, to set out. We were really, um, we were really confident in that. And, um, you know, as we started going through that process, I guess, you know, kind of that next step is identifying, you know, who all we're going to send that information to. Um, and, uh, and we sat down for quite a quite a while to go through that. It was a very well thought out strategic list. Uh, we knew we wanted to bring in private equity, and that's really you know Don's expertise and his group and the, uh, all, all the deals that they've done, and and have a wide breadth of knowledge of the different uh, private equity groups. So we leaned on him heavily for that, and we had a lot of strategics that we just knew that we wanted to approach, and Don's team helped us vet those and uh we got it down to a list of of um, strategics that made sense not just strategics that had deep pockets but strategics that we knew could benefit from our technology and our company yeah and, and so um the i think the the first t-shirt uh uh experience was man when is this thing gonna get released right uh, when are we going to actually be able to pull the trigger? Yeah, well, the thing, you know, the thing about that was uh, we had started kind of working on this early March and we were pulling all this stuff together and we had done the pre-due diligence and started all that process and it was kind of going in tandem. And then COVID started creeping up and then shelter in place happened. And so I actually am really thankful that that, you know, not thankful that it happened because of COVID and those who were affected, but thankful that, you know, we actually kind of took a step back and we were able to spend more time on getting prepared and more time on the presentation. Um, because that first month, we, you know, we were trying to figure out, well, how, how do we have these meetings? Is anyone even going to be interested in coming down here? 
Um, and so Don made a great call and said, look, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And so let's let, let it settle down a little bit. And then, cause we were really, we were getting really close to, to being prepared to send out these teasers. And when you send the teasers out, it, it went out to 150 different people. And that's kind of the, you know, that's the gun going off saying, all right, we're, we're starting this process and here we go. And so Don made a good call and said, look, let's, let's hold off a little bit. Um, and, and, and we just kind of had to wait and see kind of what was going on with the, with, with the country and, and the shutdowns and, and making sure people felt safe so they could engage with us. And so that was a good call and gave us extra time to fine tune it and polish it up even a little more. Um, so it, it turned out to be, to be good for us that, uh, we had a you know, that we had a little more time. I think it helped us be better prepared. Yeah. I, I think you, uh, went through a bit of an education process there too, because when we first started talking about this, um, you know, everybody was excited and really wanted to get this thing out to market as early as possible. And, uh, you know, Don was coming back and telling you, Hey, look, you know, if we're going to send this thing out, we need to send it out right because we've got one shot. And, uh, I know you and I talked a couple of times about, man, we, we, yeah, we got to get this thing going. We got to get this thing going. And, um, but it, it, it really turned out well. And as you said, COVID helped with that. And, uh, but part of that's the emotion, right? Um, and, and what it felt like to, to try to start selling your company. Yeah, it, it was, uh, there was a lot of adrenaline involved and a lot of like, all right, we did committed to do this. Let's do this. Let's get it going. You know, and you hear about other business owners that have sold in their process. And so it, we really wanted to get into it. Um, and, uh, but again, I, I think it really, it really helped us to spend a little more time, uh, preparing the company. I mean, Don's team did a great job with the presentation. It didn't really need to be polished that much more, but just getting things more in order with the company, I think helped prepare us starting to go over the growth plan. We spent a lot of that time over the growth plan, fine tuning the growth plan, uh, all of us getting on board and, and knowledgeable about the growth plan so we could talk, um, you know, very well about it. Uh, and so that time was definitely used, I think, to our benefit. Yeah, yeah I would just, I, I couldn't agree more with everything Michael said. And I'm just, from our side, I remember a couple of things. A, you know, the capital markets were basically shut in, in March mm -hmm. and in April and, and really even into part of May. So had we, we launched, uh, and we could have, had we launched during that time, there probably would have we probably would have missed a lot of buyers that were out of the market at that point. So waiting, waiting was a benefit, and and also financially, I hate to say it, but you know we got a growth story here, right? And the company was just putting crushing numbers together every month that closed. So, you know, delaying a few months actually improved the trailing twelve months and improved our performance. It allowed us to start the marketing process with even better numbers. And it allowed Karen, the CFO, to, to really have things cleaned up and, and absolutely spotless. So, again, uh, part of that worked out. Um, and I know it was hard, right? Not necessarily just for Michael, but for any business owner, because when you have these professionals working on an M&A engagement, the meter is running. And you've got a private business owner that, you know, here a year ago, you know, wasn't spending any of this kind of money. Um, and all of a sudden the checkbooks, are, the checks are flying and they're asking themselves, look, what am I getting for this? Is it, is it, is it really going forward? You know, am I making the right decision here? And, and thankfully, Michael trusted our team 
and um, and was rewarded for it and trusted Mike and his team. Um, and, you know, we're all cognizant of that. You know, I'm, I'm a business owner myself. Uh, I don't like incurring unnecessary cost um, unless there's a benefit. And, and that's the thing that, you know, as professionals, you want to do a good job of articulating, look, this is all going to be worth it. And, um, and sometimes it's a little hard. We don't win all those battles, but for the most part, if we can, we can get that, you know, 50% of the way there, we usually can, can, can accomplish good things. Thank you very much for joining us for part one of our two-part conversation with Michael Gosling of DoMyOwn.com and Don Rivaldo of Rivaldo Capital Advisors. Please tune in for part two, where we are going to discuss the transaction process and the road to the closing table. We'll see you next time.